0: So today we are officially <coughs> concluding three months Ango. Spring Ango. And it's an opportunity for us to put the cards on the table, so to speak. Be honest with ourselves about what we did and what we did not do in the past 90 days. You remember from the Quran. I brought up a couple of weeks ago. Remember the line: "The thief is in the family." The thief is in the family because we steal from ourselves. And and during ango, and maybe more so at the end of an ango period, it's very important to to admit that. To admit that uh, there's only one who can steal. Only one who can deceive. There's no other. It means there's nowhere to hide and you can't run away from the consequences of your actions. Remember from the five remembrances, the Buddha said, my actions are the ground upon which I stand. My actions are my only belongings. Which means we have to own up. And that is an opportunity to own up. So Ango shows us how challenging it is to keep up a certain intensity level of practice and how easy it is to fall back on old habits. When things get uncomfortable, we get irritated, tired. If you take your commitment seriously, an angle period will expose weak spots, and by doing so, it is also giving you, giving us, an opportunity to change the course and discover inner strength. And great power is always there; it's just that you don't consciously, we don't consciously tap into it. Unconsciously we don't tap into it. And then it remains an unavailable potential. It's there all the time. It's just that old habits keep us away from tapping into it, from exposing it to the light or shining the light on it. So it is unavailable for us. Available but unavailable at the same time. There's a big difference between tapping into the inner power or keeping it as a dormant potential. I mean, on one level it doesn't matter because, you know, we're here for a while, we do whatever we do and we move on to wherever it is you think we move on. But on another level it does matter because our choices, our actions create the world we live in the life we live so with that it does matter we also have to face that there are times the practice seems heavy and challenging and an extra and I don't want to do this it's too much it's too demanding right and then and the old habits know exactly how to catch us at these vulnerable times right and knock at the door with attempting displacement activity. Let's go see a movie with a friend, surf the internet, go shopping, or or even do the laundry, even when, even productivity can be a displacement activity. Even that can be running away from what we really need to do. Again, the thief is in the family. And the thief knows what works, so we gotta watch. Right? You can see it's as in tomorrow, later, not now. I think we all face it, and we know how easy it is to take a break for a little while, or to quit altogether. To quit altogether, not just Zen any activity, anything that requires more than one day commitment. A few days ago, somebody who hasn't been around in Aikido uh, came back, and and she's a long-time practitioner, and she said, and we talked a little bit, she said, she's been wanting to come back many times, it's just that somehow there was always something more important, and it wasn't that she does not love Aikido, or who understand how beneficial it is for her to practice. She loves it. and She said that. But she said, somehow it went down on the priority list to, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll go next week. And it makes perfect sense when we are giving ourselves those excuses. It obviously makes perfect sense. Otherwise we wouldn't do it. Otherwise we would practice continuously, diligently. But we don't. And it's not bad that we don't. I mean, it's, not, it's not good that we practice and bad that we don't practice. That's another thing we have to avoid. Another trap we have to avoid. It's not that you know, when you don't practice you are a bad person and you practice you're a good person. You feel good about yourself and bad about yourself. It's neither this nor that. We practice just to practice not for a reward. And I think that, and I said it before, that it's, it can be much more transfor- transformative to practice when you don't feel like practicing, to show up when you don't want to show up, because you get a chance to work with inner resistance and maybe untie some old knots. Inner resistance is in most cases not about the activity itself, it's about something in us that simply does not want to let go. And the activity, especially in Zen, the activity itself is a threat because it exposes it, because it shows you that letting go is the right action the right understanding the right mindfulness maybe that's why we're, what we're afraid of maybe that's why the practice is at times so challenging and so difficult because we know it will kill us sooner or later it will kill you hopefully sooner Hopefully soon. Be good for all of us. But you know, continuous refinement, and we talk about that often, requires continuous effort. Right mindfulness. Right effort. Which means there's no way and there's no need to avoid encountering inner resistance. This is part of the practice. We have to see that as something that is helping us deepen the practice. In a way, we we have to understand that we will encounter such challenges and we will get trapped. We will fall on our face. And in that, we will discover inner strength. Only in that way. If the practice seems like a walk in the park, then... I don't know how much we get out of it. I don't know how much it penetrates us. I remember there was somebody uh, who used to train with us years ago in Aikido, uh, many years ago, and and she wasn't that great. I mean, she had some issues with herself that she was uh, working with. I think it was partially uh, autism. And everything was a lot more challenging for her than for most of us. Every technique, a lot more difficult. And yet she stuck with it. And, and it was remarkable to see that. And I think she got up to our second queue or so, you know, like four levels up. And, I, and I, I looked at her once in a while, I would look at her and I thought, she's getting a lot more than some of us who it may come easy to. You know, when, when you put such a person in comparison with another person who, for whom Aikido is easy and the person is very talented and very flowing and merging with everything beautifully, I think she got a lot more out of the practice. I think the practice was more transformative for her than for some of us who may be more talented so we have to remember that challenges are good resistance encountering resistance is actually something we need to welcome rather than fight rather than meet resistance with resistance as we do As we do. So resistance, what is resistance? It means refusing to accept, refusal to accept, right? Which implies being in a state of holding on to something while rejecting that which is opposing it. Right? Simple terms, that's what it means. In terms of Buddhist perspective, that would mean holding on to the known and rejecting the unknown. Holding holding on to what I know to be me, what I know to, to like. Rejecting that which I don't like, which I don't know, which is threatening to me. Threatening my existence. That would be resistance. So in other words, that would mean insisting To know reality, insisting to know reality through cognition, through the story, through what I know about myself, what I know about what I see, what I know about what I hear, touch, smell, feel. We have to admit that there is a strong tendency to try to figure things out through cognition. But the more we try, the more entangled we get. We know it doesn't work. We know it doesn't work and so often we go right back to trying harder. It's like we create an imagined and lifeless reality in the midst of of a world that is very much real, very much alive. And we keep opting out to go to that reality to the imagined reality rejecting that which is real rejecting that which is real well the bad news is that most people do that and it's considered normal good news is that our practice tradition has been dealing with it with that illness for a very long time many practitioners before us dealt with it, were trapped by it and freed themselves of it. How? It's not that they were less trapped. It's not that the times were more conducive. None of that. Maybe they were more determined than probably more of that than anything. I wanted to share with you the biography of Yang, which I think offers a good example of going from a dreamlike state to wakefulness. in 9th century China, was training at Mount Dai in the community of Guishan. And Guishan said to him, you're a learned scholar and of considerable intelligence. So, without having to rely on what you have memorized from commentaries, surely you should be able to explain for me in your own words, in your own words, what the phrase before father and mother were born means. So what Guishan is asking him is to express in a different way, not to express through cognition, or not to express cognition and intelligence. Apparently he was highly intelligent, read a lot of sutras, memorized a lot of sutras, actually, and could comment very eloquently on most of them. That's why Grishan asked him the question, so however many times he tried, Jiang was unable to do so. Now, deeply ashamed of himself, it says, he consulted all the scripture books and their commentaries, everything he accumulated over the years. But he was still, still left at wit's end. Finally, he took a torch and burned the writings he had previously collected, saying, a painted rice cake will never satisfy one's hunger. Painted rice cake. A painted reality, a perceived reality, will not satisfy us. Doesn't matter how beautifully we paint it, it doesn't do it. Then he says, I swear that I will no longer crave after the Buddha's teachings in this lifetime, but will just be a kitchen monk who serves up the rice and gruel. It's not a bad way to express Buddhism. But little that he knew at that point. So it says here that he was ashamed he was ashamed to not be able to answer. And this is another way we we run back into old habits, right? Was he ashamed of what? Ashamed of not be, being able to express. It's as if we come to Dokusan and and we have to go back to the cushion, not being able to pass a coin. We can feel ashamed. I've worked on it for a while. How come I'm not getting it? And it's the same thing with sitting and not sitting. It's not that you should be ashamed if you miss a day, a week, a month. And it's not that you should feel great about sitting 100 days in a row. That's made up. This belongs to the made up reality. That's a painted cake. And again, that's how we take medicine and turn it into poison. We take that which can heal us and dump ourselves onto it or paint it in our own colors. Rather than die to the practice, we go the other direction. So, He served up the rice and gruel at the months and years and the months and years went by. The monk who served up the rice and gruel refers to the one who serves meals to his fellow monks. This is just a commentary. It is like the person in our country and this is actually from Dogen who refers to Japan back then who dishes out the food. Just a side note. So after having worked in this way for many years, he remarked to Guishan, slow learner that I am, I'm still in the dock, unable to find the words to speak. However, monk, please say something to help me. And Grishan responded, it is not that I refuse to say anything for your sake, but I fear that later on you would come to resent me for it. You would come to resent me for it. You know, the role of a teacher is to teach, to guide, to encourage students. But that is only up to a degree. You know, overguiding can curtail the student's development and growth. And the student can become like a scorched seed that will never become a big tree. We have to be very careful about that. We have to be careful when we teach and we also have to be careful when we are students. What do we expect from a teacher? Why do we come to see a teacher? What do we think that the teacher can give us? How much help do you want? From the beginning of practice it is it has to be clear to everyone that it's on you. It's 100% on you. you give given instructions. You know how to sit. You know what to do. From that point on, it is up to you. You sit and do the work. Nobody's going to call you. Did you sit today? Are you attending to your practice? We're grown-ups. At least we think we are. So it is up to us to keep the practice alive. And it is important to, to use anger periods to remind ourselves that we get trapped and to remind ourselves that we can get out of our own traps. Or we can maybe stop creating traps. Maybe that's more empowering. And so several more years passed, and Zhang Yang went to visit the site. He actually left Guishan at this point. He went to visit the site where the national teacher Nan Yang uh, from 8th century had lived. Arriving at Mount Butoh, he collected up grass and built himself a hermit's hut on the spot where the national teacher's hermitage had stood. He planted some bamboos. Bamboo? Bamboos. Bamboo which served him his sole companion. One day, while intent on sweeping his walkway clean, he accidentally swept the pebble and hit the bamboo. Upon hearing that sound, he suddenly had great awakening. He bathed himself and turned to the direction of Mount Dai to offer incense to his teacher. Then, as though facing Guishan himself, he said, O great monk Grisham, if long ago you had said something for me, for my sake, how would I know, how would I now have had this experience? My gratitude to you is so deep that it surpasses even that which I owe to my parents. He ended up by composing the following poem. At one blow I have forgotten all that I have learned with my head. Truly, I myself am no longer the one in control. Isn't that amazing? I'm, I am not in control. That would be a, a good place to begin. Relinquish control. Trust. You're not in control. Breaking out in a smile, I make my way along the old path. Neither looking down in moments of despair, nor leaving behind here and there, traces of where I have been. Neither holding on, nor letting go. Only a dignified manner remains, which lies beyond anything heard or seen. Or thought of those everywhere who have realized the way all as one say it is it is the moment supreme he then presented he went back to see Grishan and presented that and Grishan said this disciple has struck home he approved of his realization. Did he do it for him? Did he chew the food? Did he swallow the food? Did he walk for him? This long, long drawn out process from delusion to realization was so profound for Yang. Yang. So later on, he made up a koan of it and used it to help his own students to wake up of their own, out of their own dreamlands. You may remember Jiang as Kyogen. Kyogen mends up a tree. We encountered that first in our miscellaneous koans and then later on, in the first book we study. some of you have not got there yet. In the Mumon In this Koan, he it says, it's like a man up a tree hanging from a branch by his mouth. His hands cannot grasp a branch. His feet won't reach above. Suppose there is another man under the tree who asks, what is the meaning of Bodhidharma coming from the West? And he says, if he does not respond, he goes against the wish of the questioner. If he answers, he will lose his life. At such a time, how how should he respond? How would you respond? What is the meaning of Buddhism? Why do you practice? And if you cannot answer that, the the teachings of the Buddha are meaningless. They actually are meaningless if you cannot answer. Pointless. Although a lot has been written about Buddhism for 2,500 years, it is meaningless. Because it's only up to you. So being up on a tree like that, holding a branch with the mouth, is exactly how he felt when he was asked by Grishan about the original face. All he could do is turn to his knowledge. Let me look, let me see if I can find a commentary that matches this question. But there is no commentary to match that. Because it's beyond logic. And yet, And yet, it is always here. And yet, it is always expressed and experienced. Not understood, never understood, but expressed and experienced all the time. By everyone. No exceptions. Newman commented on that and said, Even if your eloquence flows like a river, it is of no use. Even if you can expound the whole body of the sutras, it is to no avail. If you can respond to it fittingly, if you can respond to it fittingly, you will give life to those who have been dead and put to death those who have been alive. If, however, you are unable to do that, wait for Maitreya to come and ask him. Maitreya is the Buddha of the future who will show up when Buddhism is no longer no longer practiced to revive Buddhism. It's a little bit like saying you can wait until the year of the donkey. Because if you want to wait you wait. And as long as you say I'm waiting you're waiting. As long as you say, I'm searching, you're not finding. As long as you say, I'm working on it, you're not practicing it. Many say, I'm working on it. I think many think that they will arrive at the pebble at some point. But when Jiang Yang heard that pebble he did not arrive anywhere he just realized that he's always been there that is true but at the same time he has realized that it's always been this way it's always been this way so to, to flow into or to flow from the knowing into the unknowing, into the not known. We have to trust. We have to have a great deal of trust. And we have to be curious. So trust and curiosity, very important, to keep alive. At the same time, you know, the, the knee surgery I had uh, a few weeks ago—it was the first time I was put under uh, general anesthesia—and uh, and actually I was very curious about it. I, I decided to be curious because it never happened before, something new, and uh, and I also decided to trust, to trust the process, to trust the staff, the doctor, the whole thing. So then when, when they put the, uh, the needle into my vein and the anesthesiologist came and she injected the, uh, the concoction into the, the bag, I was looking at it coming down the, the pipe into my vein. I really wanted to experience the whole process. I wanted to experience going somewhere else or whatever it was or falling asleep deeply it didn't last more than a split second because I was out <laughs> very quickly I don't take much medication so I'm very susceptible to, to drugs but still it was, very, it was very interesting I was very relaxed actually my, my, my blood pressure was very low the heart rate was very low and I was very interested and I have to say, it was a very interesting experience. And even the recovery process, it's, not, it's definitely not linear as, as I'd like it to be because some days you feel like, wow, it's getting better and it's great, and then I think, well, then tomorrow it will be even better than today. Well, guess what? It doesn't work this way. Because it's not linear. Well, nothing is linear. Our mind is linear. We think in a linear way, but reality is not linear. It doesn't accumulate it doesn't go in a certain direction so some days I wake up in the morning and it still hurts and then some days it doesn't it doesn't mean more than what it is there's no hidden meaning in that. it's just the way it is so trust and curiosity those are the two of the three pillars of Zen as, as you know and the third one is determination. Determination, which brings us right back to the beginning of this stage show and the examination of working with an angle period and working with what we learn after a 90 days of an Ango. And how do we move forward from here? It's not waiting for the next Ango. But there is no Ango. It's made up. It's all made up. It's made up and it needs to be made up because it's upaya. It's skillful. It teaches us. It helps us. So we need to use it. We need to use it but we need to know that while we are using it, it is made up. In the same way that you as you is made up. So what I'd like to do is is move on to a a mondo from this. And I'd like each one of you to to say a few words, whatever you want to share with us, what you took from this angle. And look at questions such as, do you feel that you were able to work through the resistance and uphold your commitments? What about moments, how did you deal with moments of I don't feel like doing it today. I'll take a break from my commitments today and I'll go back to that tomorrow. Also, do you feel that your grasping hand has opened up a bit during this angle? Do you feel a little bit less entangled? Maybe a little bit more free? And the third question is, how would you keep the determination alive next time the habit comes knocking at the door? And the next time can be an hour from now, can be tomorrow, can be next week. There will be another time, and another time, and another time. Habits don't die. They don't die. It's just that what happens, we lose interest in the habit. That changes, but the habits don't die. So, let's move into some form of a mondo from there, from here. And then we can uh, maybe go one by one and share with each other.